I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very happy to welcome into the studio my next guest, Rob Sadow, who's co-founder and CEO at Scoop Technologies. Rob, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I was reminded by my producer when I looked at my notes that, that you are one of our own graduates. That is right. I was Wharton 2008, uh, Management and Legal Studies and Business Ethics. Ah, that's why you didn't take any classes from me. <laughs> <laughs> so despite not major, majoring in entrepreneurship, you ended up an entrepreneur. That's right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to, the first thing I want to do is just point our listeners to your, to your website. So you, your company, your service is called Scoop. The URL, the domain name is Take Scoop. So the word take, the word scoop put together, takescoop.com. Uh, Rob, give us the elevator pitch for Scoop. Sure. So Scoop is a community and a fully automated carpooling solution for commuters. And so we partner with enterprises, office parks, cities to make it possible for coworkers and neighbors to share trips back and forth to the office. Okay. G- give me the use case. So let's imagine, let's not imagine, here we are in my own, in my office where there are probably, I think we're around 25 people at this location. And say a bunch of us live in, in Alameda, so in the East Bay, how, which is true, by the way, how, how would we arrange, how, well, how does it actually work? Sure. So the way that it works is you can book carpool trips one way at a time based on your preferences. And so if you want to take a trip with Scoop, you tell us where you're coming from. So Alameda in this example, where you're headed, what time you want to go, and if you want to drive or if you want to ride or you're open to either. Mm -hmm. And we basically get thousands and thousands of those requests and run an algorithm that says, okay, what's the most efficient way to get everyone from home to work or work to home on that particular trip? By unbundling it so that you can book one way at a time, we make it possible so you can actually go to work with one person and come home with somebody else. And so it unlocks flexibility in your schedule so you don't feel locked into having to go or commute on somebody else's time. Okay, and so the the community that I'm interacting with is really just defined by geography then. So it wouldn't necessarily be that I would have to carpool with someone who works at Wharton. It could be somebody who works in at Google in the same building. That's exactly right. So a lot of the time, it depends quite a bit on the size of your company. You know, mm-hmm. if you're with a really large company, quite often you might be going with one of your coworkers. If you're working at a smaller office, but you happen to be next to a larger institution, you might be going with someone who works at another company nearby, but happens to live in your neighborhood. Yeah. Now, I, I can guess, but but let me not let me not guess. What's the benefit proposition? for the user. Sure. So it depends a little bit if you want to drive or if you want to ride. And Mm -hmm. it's not quite so steady state as, you know, a a ride hailing application, for example. So we have folks that will drive one day and ride the next. Uh, When you drive, you get reimbursement on the cost of your commute, access to the carpool lane if you live on a route that has a carpool lane, uh, plus the pleasure of having somebody else in your car, you know, to pass the time is especially we find to be pretty resonant for folks that are sitting in stop and go traffic Mm -hmm. over long distances. When you're a rider, you get picked up at the point of your choosing, dropped off where you want to get dropped off, uh, and it's cheaper than driving alone to get back and forth. All right. Talk a little bit about the money. How's the money work? Sure. So it's pretty straightforward. When you ride, you pay. When you drive, you get a reimbursement. Uh, Generally, a cost of a ride is roughly based on distance. And so a trip might be anywhere from $2 to $10 for a rider, and a driver gets a reimbursement somewhere in the $2 to $10 range per passenger. Mm -hmm. Uh, To 
put it in context, you know, our average trip one way in the Bay Area is about 20 miles mm -hmm. one way, in which case it might cost a ride or something like five or six bucks for a trip. Mm -hmm. So, and how would that compare if I were to if I were to call, I guess there'd be two questions, two, two services you probably compete with. One it would be my own Uber, right, or Lyft, and the other would be one of their pooling options. Uh, less expensive, presumably. Yes. So compared to your own Uber, your own Lyft, it's generally 80 or 90 percent cheaper mm -hmm. over that distance. Um, compared to LiftLine or Uber Pool, you know, it depends on the route. Sometimes that service doesn't exist at all yeah. on that route. If you think about a lot of what we do, it's suburb to city or city to suburb, suburb to suburb type commutes. Um, but still generally anywhere from a few dollars cheaper to several times cheaper, depending on the distance in the particular corridor. Right. Right. And, and then to compare on the other end, if I were to take the bus, first of all, I'd have to be quite lucky to have a bus route that goes just where I want. But it's it's similar in price, right? Or a little, it's a little bit more. I would say yeah. it's a little bit more yeah. than a bus. You know, generally, the routes that we focus on are ones that are longer distance, mm -hmm. where public transit infrastructure either doesn't exist or it's a little bit challenging for people to either get to the stop at your point of origin or get from the destination to the office. Yeah. And therefore, people are heavily reliant on driving alone. Yeah. And so most Scoop commuters used to drive alone before they started using Scoop to either ride with somebody else or drive somebody else. Yeah. All right. Well, well, I, I'm sort of a control freak, and I don't like waiting. Uh, I, I'm just really anxious about this proposition because I'm worried this guy isn't going to show up. Uh, what do you do to mitigate that anxiety and to substantively deal with the anxiety? Sure. So it's a little bit different, as you might imagine, if you're in the morning versus in the evening, mm -hmm. right? Um, the idea of what happens if you're late to work feels very different than what if I'm stuck 30 miles away from where I live, right? right? Um, in the morning, we book every trip or you have up until about nine o'clock the night before to request your trip. Mm. And we match the night before, just after nine o'clock, before everyone goes to sleep. Um, it was a funny thing. Early on, we asked commuters, did you want to be able to book trips in the morning? And there was a almost like a violent negative reaction to that idea because it's very stressful to think about right. trying to plan a carpool over that kind of distance in the morning. Um, and so that way you go to sleep, you know it's all reserved. Generally, commuters will text each other or communicate back and forth to confirm. Uh, in the application in the morning, you can actually see when the driver leaves there house or apartment and see them on the way. You can communicate back and uh, forth. And so a lot of those things help alleviate. In the afternoon, we actually offer a guaranteed ride home, mm -hmm. which means that if for whatever reason we can't match you in a trip to return home that day, you have an emergency and you have to leave early or unexpected late work and you have to stay later, uh, you can take public transit or a taxi or another alternative and we'll actually cover the cost of the alternative to make sure that you can get home. Well, I, I would have thought the guarantee would be more important on on the inbound side. Is that not true? It's not true mostly because if you think about how people used to get to work, mm. most of the people that use Scoop used to drive to work, right? And so the worst case, if you ah. can't get there, is you just drive yourself to yeah. the office, right? Yeah. Uh, when you're stuck 30 miles away, it's a bit different. Without right? your car. Without your car, right? And it's a very different. People usually ask, okay, well, do you do trips inside of San Francisco or inside of Seattle, for example? And you know, the answer is, if you're thinking about really short distance trips, there's a lot of redundant options, mm. be it walk or bike or muni or take a taxi or something else, right? Over this distance, you know, generally you drove and the only way for you to get back is to drive, right? And so that's where the guarantee becomes so important because otherwise you might be stuck. Mm -hmm.
Give us the origin story. Take us back to the beginning. Sure. It really Which came... isn't that long ago, right? How long have you been have you been launched? So we started the company as most companies start as an every night, every weekend project. Okay. You know? So yeah. my brother is my co-founder. Ah. Uh, and we started working on this in the spring of 2014 and then left our respective jobs in January of 2015 to work on it full time. So I used to so work... about a year of the nights and weekends stuff. That's right. And then you've been at it. Almost a little years. over two years yeah, full time. Okay, yeah. And I used to work at Bain and Company doing strategy consulting. My brother was a product manager at Google, and so we thought that it was a good marriage of perspectives to make this work. But in reality, you know, the story starts much earlier. I grew up in Atlanta. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I was sixteen. My high school was twenty-five miles away from where I lived. And so my experience commuting when I was in high school was driving 250, 300 miles a week back and forth wow. to school. And so, you know, at that point in time, it wasn't that it was so expensive to commute. You know, gas in Georgia when I was in high school was not terribly expensive. But the idea of your energy level at the end of the day, your stress about whether you're going to be somewhere on time, you know, that was a big part for us growing up. When I went to school at Wharton and I lived in Philadelphia, I never thought about this problem. And then when I lived in Manhattan after school, I also never really thought about this problem because nobody was driving back and forth in the city. I moved out to the Bay Area in late 2013. My brother was already here and was commuting back and forth. And you know, for me, that was like reconnecting with this topic all over again of what it feels like to get around and you know the stress that's caused by having to drive long distances. And that turned into a real passion for us that turned into an idea and became something that we thought made sense to work on full time. Okay. Well, I, you know, when I advise entrepreneurs and particularly student entrepreneurs, first time entrepreneurs, I really say focus on the, on the pain point, focus on the problem and then be quite open-minded about the solution. So let me push a little bit on that. I, I understand the pain point, but I, but I can imagine lots of solution concepts. Were you really fixated on the peer-to-peer -peer solution from the outset, or, or did you look at some other alternatives? Yeah. No, we actually were much more, first of all, I think it's great advice that yeah. you give to students. Uh, we were much more focused on just understanding the problem mm -hmm. and then trying to understand the set of solutions that could be brought to bear, uh, and, and as a result, kind of what made the most sense to, to actually solve it. You know, one of the interesting things that we started to realize was there's a huge difference if you think about what it means to solve a short, short distance versus a mid-distance trip, right? And as a result, what kinds of solutions make sense for something where somebody is going 20 miles versus going a mile? You know, one of the interesting things that we looked at early on was the shuttles that Google and Facebook and others operate. And we realized there's only two ways to run a shuttle, right? Either you're going to run it point to point which means that everybody has to get to the origin and get to work from the destination, uh, or you run it with lots of stops, but then it takes a really long time relative to other options, right? And so we started to realize that the only mechanism that gave the right balance of cost structure, of flexibility over that kind of distance was actually to take advantage of the existing asset that was already moving back and forth, which was co-workers already driving uh, on those routes back and forth already. So it really was less of we have this idea, this is the answer, and more let's understand every aspect of the problem, how people commute, what causes issues today, what's the cost profile of different options, and, and landed on this being the right way to solve that particular issue. Well, well let me push you on that a little bit. Sure. I, when you start describing the numbers, if, if I have a slightly larger vehicle, let's say a vehicle that could carry eight passengers, it starts to look like you easily cover the, the, the cost of a driver in a vehicle. 
um, at least during the period it's operating. We are, first of all, are some people operating in a semi-professional way on your network? And secondly, why doesn't that work? Sure. So yeah. the answer is no to your first question. Okay. There, are, We have no hired or contracted drivers. It is only coworkers and neighbors sharing trips back okay. and forth to the office. When you start to stretch the format, so to speak, uh, you know, a sprinter van with seven or eight passengers, mm -hmm. what ends up happening is a couple of things. Either you have to decide, are you going to contract a driver or are you not going to contract a driver? If it's not a contracted driver, then either everybody has to get to the origin somehow, right? Um, or the driver has got to make all of these stops yeah. to pick up and drop off on the way. If you have to make all the stops and this is not your job, that's actually a lot of work to yeah, do if you're yeah, driving the yeah. van. If you contract a driver, all of a sudden the structure changes. You think about, okay, well, how much does it cost for the van? What do I have to pay the person that's driving? What's the liability structure associated with moving people back and forth? They're not under their personal auto insurance anymore. They have to cover commercial insurance, which actually changes the structure further. And so you actually push the cost up quite a bit um, when you move to a van. And so it doesn't actually end up being that much cheaper, uh, but it ends up being significantly less flexible when you think about how do you get to liquidity or can you actually change your schedule day to day, trip to trip in terms of when you want to go to the office or when you want to go home. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, it, it, in fact, Rob, it almost sounds as if you had some Bain consultant doing that analysis. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it leads me into my, my, the question I was going to ask. I was going to ask, what possibly would you have learned at Bain that makes you, supports your role as, as the CEO of, a, of, of Scoop? Uh, but you sort of answered my question. Why don't you, why don't you fill in? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What I pre I, so I was at Bain for a long time. Yeah. I was there from summer 2008 to January 15, right? Yeah. So about six and a half years, yeah. which is a fairly That's long a tour. That's a really long time at a consulting firm, firm right? Yeah. Yeah. If you think about our go-to-market model, you know, the things that were really important to me because of the background that I had was not just is this a real problem, a pain point that people experience, but can you create a real business around it? Like, how do you think about the economics of doing that? And one of the things that we realized quite quickly was that enterprises experience this problem of commuting in almost as acute a fashion as consumers did. It was impacting parking lots and the cost of what it required to build spaces or to build structures if you wanted to grow as a company. It's a significant impact on recruitment and retention and culture. Um, there are a number of aspects of the employment experience that were impacted by getting people back and forth to work. And so when we started to think about, okay, well, what does it mean to build a go-to-market model that was dependent on enterprises as a channel? That started to feel a whole lot more familiar to yeah. my experience at Bain. What does it mean to navigate organizations, try and solve those types of right. problems? And so I spent a lot of my energy historically on that. Uh, my brother quite often on the core product experience, and, and that's kind of the, the structure that we set up from the beginning. But did that end up when you, you're... So tell me about your go-to-market strategy, and actually, let me back up and ask the, the first, the, 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 the more fundamental question, which is... you'd. You'd worked on this nights and weekends for a year. At some point, you have to launch the, the business. This is a product or a service where you have to have a critical mass to get it to work. So how did you establish that critical mass sure. in order to run a pilot? And what did that pilot look like? Yeah, sure. So there are three things that partnering with an enterprise does um, that we think are incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. 
One is it automatically helps you crack some of the critical mass mm -hmm. issues. If you can build scale within a large enterprise, you're solving part of the point of arrival yeah. challenge and you can run routes into and out of that particular yeah. enterprise. Two, you generate a different level of trust because it's one thing to hear about something through a Facebook ad, mm -hmm. and it's very different when you hear about it through your employer. Mm -hmm. So the adoption rate is higher, which further helps your critical mass issue. Um, and three, it actually means that if you think more about the economic model and whether you can serve enterprise needs, it allows you to further reduce the cost of a ride or increase a reimbursement to a driver in a way that's compelling but makes sense for the company as a long-term business. Uh, so this was one of the first things that we thought a lot about, and so that's kind of the the approach that we took at the very beginning to piloting. Um, Workday was our first partner. Oh. Uh, we worked with them in Pleasanton, which is where they're headquartered. And mm -hmm. if you think about Pleasanton, it's a bit of a trek from San Francisco. It's a trek from the peninsula. You know, there's a lot of people who are commuting pretty far. And so the first thing that we did was say, okay, Let's do a little bit of research with the Workday population to validate, does this seem like something people are interested in? So we did a survey company-wide, understood how people were getting to work, their level of satisfaction, their point of view on different alternatives, and basically pitched the idea of what we were trying to do and said, okay, would this be interesting enough to pilot? Off the back of the research, we said, okay, it looks like a route that could work for a pilot is Oakland into Pleasanton. And so we signed up about 40 folks who are commuting to Workday. We enrolled them in a four-week pilot, created a very first version of the product where basically all you could do is say, I live here, I work there, and this is the time I want to go, and that was it. And we ran it. Mm -hmm. and basically operated it like a switchboard to try and match people based on where they live and yeah. looking at Google Maps and going wow. back and forth. Um, but for us, that was enough to get initial read, right? Could people see the product and say, okay, yes, this makes sense. I enjoy the experience. And you know, if I had this functionality or could develop these features, um, this would be something that I would use on a regular basis was kind of the the checkpoint, if you will, that we wanted to make sure yeah. we got to before we launched into it full time. Yeah. I want to underscore two things you said that I think are really quite generalizable. The first is in any of these marketplaces, it, it helps to be geographically concentrated. So that's one way to get critical masses. You only offer the service in a limited geography, and that allows you to focus your acquisition efforts on a concentrated group of individuals. The second is this idea of the enterprise sale, which is if you can make that enterprise contact, you are automatically acquiring a community. How, how did you get Workday to, to agree to do this? Or, or did they ever agree? Did you just sort of work with their community without their official no we, we, we yeah. went through workday and yeah. so it's funny so they started as our pilot partner and then our first uh actual partner yeah. and then later workday ventures invested in scoop and they became our first paying partner so they've kind of gone through the whole iteration with us but but how do how do you actually get that done so sure. so how, what advice do you give an entrepreneur who's trying to trying to try a completely unproven service saying hey Go get, offer this to your employees. I mean, that's basically what you're asking them. Yeah. It did a lot more listening than mm -hmm. selling, mm -hmm. really trying to understand how they experienced commuting today, how big of an issue was it for them, what were they trying, what was working, what's not working. You know, we ended up getting on we ended up getting connected through one of my brother's friends was working at Workday and lived in San Francisco and was yeah. commuting back and forth. Um, really tough for him because he was going from San Francisco, Muni to BART, out and back. And so he introduced us to their head of employee programs who spent half an hour telling us that their biggest issue was commuting and she was about to operate a switchboard to try and figure out how oh, to match really? people up. Yeah. 
And so we said, we think we could probably do one better from a technology perspective. And so a little bit was just listening and understanding what the problems were of employees and getting connected to the right person. And she was willing to take a bet with us and kind of the rest of the game became history for the pilot. All right. So you had a pilot and I, I saw, if I get the timeline right, you raised some capital about a year ago. It uh, looks like a seed round, although these, these labels are so ridiculous because a $5 million seed round, which seems to me like like a series B in my world, but still that's, that was your seed round and, and a shout out to our alum, Rick Thompson. It looks like it was his fund that, that led that. But, um, uh, tell us a little bit about what you had to prove before you could raise capital for this. Sure. So we basically wrote the, the deck, so to speak, for what we wanted to do in our seed before we started doing anything, right? Which was, okay, What's the problem? How do people experience it? What's the size of the market? How many commuters is it applicable to? How would you think about the product solution? What's the pilot data? Therefore, what are you going to do with the capital? Right. There's that Bain thing again. It's awesome. I love and, it. And yeah. so that's and yeah. so basically, I said, okay. And it was a bunch of blanks at the yeah. beginning, right? Yeah. It's a bunch of things where you can't answer. And so the work that we did, we talk about working every night every weekend in that first year was just how do you answer those questions, the research on what the market looks like, the research on how people commute today, executing the pilot. And so we basically spent all of that time just trying to figure out how to fill in the story. Um, And it made it a lot easier for us. Now, granted, January 2015, from a fundraising perspective, was a little bit of a different Mm -hmm. world, right? Um, But we had done enough of our homework, I think, and had a strong enough point of view on where we were going that we were able to make that compelling. All right. We have just 30 seconds left. And don't worry, no one's listening. So I'll just ask you this question. Uh, What's it like to work with your brother? 90% of the time is fantastic. And 10% of the time we want to kill each other. But I think that works just pretty well for us. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm in business with my brother as well. And I got to say, it's better than when we were kids, honestly. (laughs) We get along a lot lot better. Um, All right, Rob, so interesting. And I wish you the best of luck, and thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. To keep up with Scoop, you can follow them on Twitter, at TakeScoop. And you can also go to their website, TakeScoop.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.